Hello, everyone, and thank you for coming to Sandra Stenography and Shorthand Dictation. I appreciate everyone that visits this channel, watches the videos, give the videos a thumbs up, leave me comments, um, subscribe, and share. So thank you all. Um, you can go ahead and hit the thumbs up right now because you know my videos are always on fleek. <laughs> so, um, and while you do that, I will go ahead and get started. Pull up this dictation. Turn down. I've got some little dramatic music in the background. I might have it too loud. So let me um, turn it down a little bit so you can concentrate on what I'm doing here. We are continuing with the Jeffrey McDonald case. They are in the grand jury room. Um, there is bantering back and forth between the court and Mr. Warhide and Mr. Siegel. Warhide is spelled W-O-E-R-H-E-I-D-E. -E. We've got the court and Mr. Siegel, S-E-G-A-L. They are going back and forth right now about having Mr. McDonald's lawyer in the grand jury proceedings. Of course, um, Mr. Siegel is the one that's trying to sit in. He is the um, lawyer for the defendant in this case, um, Jeffrey McDonald. And Mr. Warhide is, um, of course, in the on the prosecution side. I believe we have someone else and Mr. McNamara. Mr. McNamara is also on the prosecution side. And he is um, stating reasons why he doesn't want um his lawyer in the courtroom. It is not um, a usual thing that is done. So that's why um, they are going back and forth on this. Um, let's see. We are going to start where I left off. Mr. Siegel um, asked the, the judge without belaboring the subject. He wants to indulge him briefly. And the court said very well. So this is Mr. Siegel talking. Ready to write? I've got Steno Bear here with me. He has his machine. Tell him about it, Steno Bear. He is here and he is ready to write as well, he says. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started and get into this. <clears throat> ready? Mr. Siegel. If the government concedes, Your Honor, that the witness has the right and they have to concede it, dash, to come out after every single question and repeat the question to me and go back in and give the answer and then come out again after the answer, then repeat that to me. Once he concedes that, it seems to me that the procedure or the instance that I not be permitted to hear it for myself is such an absurdity. And one, of course, is called to mind. 
that for 400 years, lay people continue to quote Shakespeare, quote, the law doth make an ass of itself, close quote. Why am I not entitled to hear it directly? As a matter of fact, the very proof of why this procedure that I have asked you to allow this afternoon is necessary is tied to the second motion that I make because I suspect when I state the reason for my second motion, Mr. Warhide or Mr. McNamara will leap to their feet and deny precisely that that is what they said to my client in the grand jury. And we are going to have an argument over that, over the ability of a lay witness to come out and repeat to his counsel immediately thereafter correctly certain statements because I am prepared to make certain representations to your honor. Why should that be necessary? Why should we engage in this certain absurd procedure which says I am entitled to know what goes on but not accurately. For those reasons, sir, I submit that our motions be granted. The court. Also, you have a second motion? Mr. Siegel, yes, sir. The court, I'll hear you on that too. Mr. Siegel, that will be somewhat briefer, sir. If your honor please, during the initial questioning of Dr. McDonald in regard to purportedly warn him of his rights conducted by Mr. Warhide before the grand jury. At that time, Dr. McDonald warned the government's counsel that he wished the presence of his attorney. He was then asked by the government's counsel whether or not he had discussed the issue of the right of his attorney to be present in the grand jury proceedings and whether or not I had advised him in regard to such a matter. That is the best recollection that my lay client was able to give me of that discussion. And I submit now, Your Honor, that that is totally and grossly improper 
for the government to go into the question of what advice counsel has given to the witness. I suspect it was more unintended than deliberate. That counsel for the government, I trust, is aware that he may not inquire as to what legal advice was given to a witness by his or her attorney through the course of the attorney-client relationship. Just precisely the court. I didn't understand you to say it was contended that they had asked the nature of the advice, but just whether or not the question had been the subject of some conversation, not what the conversation was. Mr. Siegel, my understanding, again, my problem is that I am dealing with secondhand repetition of what the client layperson has said relates to the conversation dealt with and was he told something about those rights by me? In effect, the question which sought to elicit the nature of counsel's advice, dash, if your honor would indulge me for one moment, I want to confer, refer to a note here. I think that I can further add to the record by saying that apparently Mr. Warhide, government's counsel, after making the statements that I have given so far, then said to the witness, quote, so this, his decision not to agree to my presence doesn't come as a surprise to you, close quote. That is a characterization and stating of record the nature of advice that I have given and that I think is grossly improper. And for that reason, I would ask your honor to instruct the government's counsel to refrain from either directly or indirectly seeking to find out the nature of legal advice given to the witness in this case. By the way, your honor, to apprehend the needless difficulty we are struggling with to understand precisely the words, if I can be present, I think that I can separate the difference of a general question which can deal with this area the court, what would you have done if you had been there? Mr. Siegel, I would have made notes to that effect and reviewed what area 
it would have gotten into. I would not dash and I represent to this court dash attempt to signal the witness to show any kind of emotion, any kind of feelings, any kind of signals. I am a professional, your honor. That's not my function, semicolon. I don't behave that way. I don't think that any counsel that has ever known me would have known me to somehow subvert the grand jury proceedings. I must say to the court, your honor, I have been in state court permitted special circumstances were shown to appear before a grand jury. Take the case of the Commonwealth versus Carrera and Garcia, semicolon. The case ultimately went before the Supreme Court of the state of Pennsylvania in regard to representing the witness in the grand jury room proceedings for the purpose of adequately getting the witness to express her rights. The court simply thought it was expedient and desirable for counsel to be present for that brief time. It served a purpose. It is not unheard of in that regard. The court, all right, sir, Mr. McNamara, if your honor, please, on this latter motion of counsel in regard to the impropriety on the part of the government's counsel, I emphatically deny that, that such did take place there. I listened as Mr. Warhide was asking Dr. McDonald these various questions and Dr. McDonald brought up the fact that he would like to have his counsel in, in the grand jury room. So Mr. Warhide went ahead and asked him if he had discussed this with his attorney this fact. He didn't ask for any type of disclosure on what they discussed. Just when this particular point had been discussed. Now, if we get into a shooting match over words, we'll have to go back to the court reporter. But it did not strike me anywhere near being any question of impropriety here. So I think that motion, the court, well, does the government recognize that it has no right to inquire into the nature of advice obtained by a witness or anyone else before the grand jury? Advice from his attorney? Do you recognize that? McNamara, yes. 
Mr. Warhide, your honor. We recognize that a witness who appears before the grand jury has certain privileges. One is the privilege not to testify as to any matter that might tend to incriminate him. The other privilege, it is not a right, a privilege dash relates to confidential communications between attorney and client. It is not the privilege of the attorney. It is the privilege of the client. If the client is a witness before the grand jury, he may be asked questions, semicolon. He may assert the privilege, semicolon. He may refuse to answer the question, semicolon. But there is no prohibition with respect to asking the question. <clears throat> McNamara, your honor, if I may add one point further with regard to Mr. Siegel's request to be in the grand jury room. After every question that Dr. McDonald it's, is asked, if he still has to confer with Mr. Siegel, as he probably will, they are going to be out of the grand jury room anyway. So we are going to have so much traffic going back and forth. I can't see how anything is going to be accomplished by allowing Mr. Siegel to be in there. The court, you don't think a logistical problem will be solved by having him in there, McNamara? I definitely don't think so. I think it will be most distracting. Siegel, if your honor, please. I made my statement to the court in absolute good faith. And I have the advantage over both the government counsel, if your honor please, that I participated in that fully and completely in the military proceedings that proceed. Sir, I have some intimate knowledge of the details of this case and I further have experience in representing witnesses in grand jury matters. I think that I can safely and honestly, hoping that the court will respect my word, say to you that I think that we will solve a substantial logistical problem by granting our first motion that I have no reason at all to anticipate that if I am able to be present, that there will be any need for assisting frequent adjournments so that the witness can counsel with me. Perhaps if that were to occur and did not solve the logistical problem, 
I see no reason why your honor might not want to reconsider your decision. If your honor will permit me to be present, I think your honor would find as a practical matter that that would not be necessary, semicolon, and it would obviate the government's position. I am appreciative, your honor, in your indulgence to hear me out, but I do not think that I would be serving my client properly if I did not respond or call attention to what I have heard in Mr. Warhide's remark. And that is that he wants an uncounseled layman to make the decisions to whether or not he is supposed to discuss with the grand jury and with the government's attorneys the nature of the advice I gave him. And that is precisely the kind of thing that privileges are supposed to protect. You don't give the government lawyers to acts in areas that they know they can stop in a second. And that is why I have asked your honor to rule and to advise the government to not play games with fundamental rights. They have no business going into legal advice and say, quote, well, the layperson, he can deceive that, close quote. That's provided the witness knows enough to go out and find out whether this is a critical area or not. It is simply a charade. And I say, your honor, deal with this issue summarily and say the government ought not to go into the question of rights. I am frankly surprised that Mr. Warhide takes the position the government can fool around with the attorney-client privilege and see <clears throat> whether they can't find out legal advice the lawyer gives to a witness. That to me, sir, is unworthy to this case. The court, all right, sir, anything else, Mr. Siegel? No, your honor, the court, very well. Let the record show that each of the motions of the witness McDonald made through his counsel are denied. Anything else to come before this court, this session? McNamara, not that I know of, your honor, court. All right, we will recess until tomorrow morning at 930. Hello, are you interested in starting your own podcast? I think Anchor FM is the best. Here's why. With easy and fast setup, you'll be a pro in podcasting right out the gate. 
There is no additional equipment to buy because you can podcast right from your phone, your laptop, or your desktop computer. Anchor has great editing features such as music and even splitting your podcast in sections. And Anchor does all the distribution for you to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google, and more. And the best part about Anchor is you can make money with no minimum listening audience. So, download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. In motion hearing. Dr. Jeffrey McDonald resumes the stand. That's in brackets. Further examination by Mr. Warhide. Question, Mr. McDonald, you stated your present address. Were you employed, sir? Answer, St. Mary's Hospital in Long Beach, California. Question, do you have an office in that hospital? A private office? Answer, no. I am a member of a group of eight physicians that run emergency departments. Question, does the hospital have a telephone number? Answer, yes, it does. Question, or the emergency room? Answer, yes, it does. Question, can you tell us what it is, please? Answer, 435-4441, area code 213. Question, and how about your residence telephone? Answer, area 213-592-2303. Question, now going backward from the present time to December 4th, 1970, which I think is the date of your discharge from the army, can you tell us the various places that you have resided during that period of time? Answer, from December 4th, 1970? Question, yes, sir. Answer, initially, I was at a friend's house in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And then I was at my mother's house in Patchogue, Long Island. Question, was your friend Robert Stern? Answer, that's correct. Question, and what's the address there, sir? Answer, at that time, it was one great oak road, New Hope, Pennsylvania. Question, and thereafter you stayed at your mother's house? Answer, for a brief period of time. Question, what's that address? Answer, she doesn't live there anymore. 68 Mount Vernon Avenue, Patchogue, New York. Question, I want to ask you where Mr. Stern lives at the present time. Answer, I believe it is Southampton, Long Island. Question, do you have a street address? Answer, no, I don't. Question, how about your mother? What is her current address? Answer, 189 Washington Avenue, Patchogue. Question, When you left your mother's house, where did you go to live? Answer, 
to an apartment in New York City? Question, can you give us that address? Answer, it was on 69th Street. I don't remember the address. Question, and where did you move from there? Answer, to California. Question, did you copy the quarters that you now occupy? Answer, initially I stayed with one of my partners, a man who is now my partner. The address at that time was B7, Surfside, California. Question, and what's his name, sir? Answer, Dr. Hughes. Question, and then you moved to the place where you now reside, is that it? Is that an apartment or a house, sir? Answer, it's a condominium. Question, and do you own the condominium? Answer, I am in the process of owning it, yes. Question, now since you were discharged from the army, what employment have you had, sir? Answer, I am a physician. Question, specifically, you are not in private practice for yourself? Answer, no, I was. Question, you are employed by an employer? Answer, that's correct. Question, and who is or the employers who have employed you since your discharge from the army? Answer, I worked at the, I was a clinic physician at the World Trade Center in New York at the industrial clinic for approximately six months. Question, and that was in 1971, I take it. Answer right. The director of the clinic was Dr. Gilbert Benjamin. Dr. Benjamin Gilbert, <clears throat> his main office was on 45th Street in New York. I don't know the address. Question, who was your next employer? Answer, essentially Dr. Hughes in California. Question, are you still working for him? Answer, it's not really, I don't really work for him. It is a group of physicians. It is more like a partnership. Question, have you been associated with the partnership since you've been in California? Answer, yes, I have. Question, so you are a whole partner in this partnership, I take it? Answer, yes, a junior more junior member of the partnership, but I am not employed by them. Yes. Question, now how long did you live at Fort Bragg? Answer, you mean exact dates? Question, yes. Answer, it would be August of 1969, August of 1969 until my discharge from the army. Question, what was December 4th, 1970? Is that correct? Answer, right. Question, did you leave the same date? Answer, I don't remember. Question, now, prior to coming to Fort Bragg, where did you live? Answer, the prior few months I was in the Army in July of 1969. I would have been at Fort Sam Houston, Texas, and in August, I was in jump school 
at Fort Benning, Georgia. Question, I take it your family was not able to live with you while you were at Fort Sam Houston or while you were at jump school. They joined you after you arrived at Fort Bragg. Answer, that's correct. Question, so there was a period from July through August when your family was living somewhere else? Answer, that's correct. Question, where were they living? Answer, in Patchogue. Question, with her parents or your parents? Answer, my parents. Question, is that the same address you gave us? Answer, no. It was across the street. Question, now how long did you live there? Answer, where, sir? Question, in Patchogue. Or were your wife and children just visiting there? Answer, <clears throat> they were just visiting there while I was on my way. Question, that was not a permanent abode for them at all? Answer, no. Question, that was just a temporary answer. That's correct. Question, prior to the time when you went into the army, where did you live? Answer, that was my internship year. I was living in some little town in New Jersey, Fort, I guess, Bergenfield. Bergenfield, New Jersey. Question, do you recall the address? Answer, no. It was a big apartment complex. Question, and you were interning while you were there? Answer, Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York. Question, prior to living in Bergenfield, where did you live? Answer, Chicago. Question, did you live in several places in Chicago? Answer, yes, I did. Question, was that during the time that you were a student? Answer, medical student then? Yes. All right. I try to give you guys at least 30 minutes of solid good dictation. And that's what that was. We're in 33 minutes and 30 seconds. So I think that's pretty good. We got the Cordonnell. We got McNamara. We got Siegel going. We got Mr. Warhide. We got the witness on the stand. That's what I was trying to do. Get you to the point where the witness is on the stand. <laughs> because that's when everything gets, you know, gets ready to pop off. So um, please join me for the next video. You won't be disappointed. Um, it'll be Jeffrey McDonald, video number seven. Look forward to that. I'll be bringing you that soon. Thank you so much for coming and watching this video. I really do appreciate it. Give it a thumbs up if it helped you at all. And I'd like to say thank you so much again. You guys have a great night. Be blessed. And happy practice. As always. Oh, 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 oh,